Welcome to the Stop Suffering in Silence podcast with your hosts, Denise Walsh and Rachel Timothy. Hey, 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 you guys. My name is Denise Walsh. Welcome back to Stop Suffering in Silence, where we educate about all things trauma and trafficking and empower those on the healing journey. I am here with co-host Rachel Timothy and a very, very special guest who 22 years ago escaped a high demand religion, i.e. cult called the Amish community. And she grew up there. And so I am not only very interested in learning about the experience of growing up in the Amish community, at least her experience, right? But I'm also very interested in hearing about how she escaped. And uh, I've been learning for those who've been listening to the Stops This Podcast, you know, I've been deep diving into first it was psychopathy, like what makes people crazy and psychopaths, which led me into cult leaders, which led me into all of these things and, you know, Scientology and Nexium and uh, the Mormon community has popped up a lot and so has the Amish. And so in learning about these cults, my friend Marietta came to mind because I knew she had escaped one. So big stops this welcome to Marietta Miller. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I, we, I mean, it's very, I, 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 I'm always like, this is going to be such an exciting conversation. And I don't know that that is the word. This is going to be a fascinating, interesting and needed conversation. But, um, I am very curious about your upbringing because I think on the outside, you know, we see buggies going down the road, but we have no idea what's happening in uh in the communities. So let's start with that. You grew up in an Amish community, is that right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So born and raised. Tell me a bit about your family, brothers, sisters. Yes, I have five brothers and one sister. So there was seven kids growing right. up and I'm the oldest daughter. So I was there was a I had a brother and then me and then my sister and then my uh and four little brothers. Well yeah. So you were the oldest girl. Yeah. Which is very significant because the oldest girl carries a lot of the responsibility of the household, you know, and taking care, like being for me, me personally becoming kind of the surrogate spouse or the surrogate parent in, in the household. Yeah, absolutely. And so did you, were you the homeschool operation? Did you go to school? Tell me a bit about what life Uh, was like. It was our own, we had our own schools, a parochial school system where we had our own, you know, two room schoolhouses where one grades one through four were in one room and fifth through eighth were in another room and each had their own teachers. And then there was teachers aides and you just, you, that's where you went five days a week and you learned, that's where we learned to speak English. Um, So that was our second, you know, our mother tongue is not English. So like we learned to speak English in school. What is your mother tongue? Well, it's a, it's a. Swiss German dialect, but it's called, it's called Pennsylvania Dutch. And it didn't used to be a written language until recently. Someone actually, actually it's written now, which is kind of exciting, but, um, it, it's just, um, it's a Schwabish actually. So people who speak high German can't necessarily understand it, but there are certain specific words. Um, but if you go to certain parts of Switzerland, they have that exact same dialect. Oh, wow. Okay. So gr- growing up, you went to really the Amish community school. Was yeah. there Amish stores there? Did Was it like its own little self-sustaining? 
village? Um, a lo- yeah, there were Amish stores. We would go like a lot of, you know, we would get our milk and our eggs from the neighbors and, you know, we would butcher our own, like raise our own pigs and beef and, and chickens. And, you know, like it was very sufficient within the community, have big gardens. Uh, you know, then we would get like, you know, peaches and apples and can, like we would, we were, we would go to the store for things that we needed, but a lot of times it was Amish stores. We would go like, maybe I remember when I was little, my mom would like maybe every six or eight weeks, a driver would come and pick mom up with a group of other Amish ladies. And they would go like to Aldi and Walmart and do like the haul of things that we didn't have access to. Um, you know, so, but it was not like a, a normal occurrence to really go. Like, I didn't know what a restaurant was until I was probably 12. I mean, every once in a while we would, if we would go to town with the buggy, we would go to get like a, an ice cream, an ice cream cone or something. And that was like a huge treat, you know, like at, we had a place called Dairyland um, and we would get ice cream cones, but it was mostly, it was very, looking back, um, it was very self-sufficient within the community. Okay. And how big, I mean, was it? Was it like everybody knew everybody kind of a small town or was it? Mm, it, Okay. So the churches were in districts. So you'd have a church district was like maybe 20 to 25 to 30 families in a district, but then you could go, you could travel and cross districts, but you belong to a specific district. And then everybody, you knew everybody there, but then you would have neighboring, like you would be neighbors, but not necessarily in the same district, wherever the district line went through. So you could cross, you could go anywhere to church that you wanted to. Churches were in homes. It wasn't, we didn't have church houses. You just had church in homes. Mm -hmm. And so whoever's turn it was for church, you only had church every two weeks. So in between Sunday, you could go, you could attend church at a different district if you wanted to. Okay. And and then, so it, a lot of people knew a lot of people, but when I, when I turned 16 and it was time for the whole, uh, you know, youth group room spring, a thing, uh, there was 400, some, some youth. And then when I was 17, my parents moved us to Wisconsin and there was only 24. So to me, that was like a small, that was, that was a small community. Arthur was a bigger, Arthur's probably at this point, the fifth or the sixth largest Amish community, I would say probably, you know, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Indiana. There's some bigger ones, but it was a fairly large community where there's like lots and lots and lots of churches or districts. I remember growing up knowing about Arthur. Honestly, you knew about the Amish community in Arthur and we would drive to Arthur to go to some of the little uh, Amish owned stores and buy honey or I don't know, whatever. Apple butter butter is a big thing there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I remember Arthur. So tell me a bit about why the Amish community does not want to, you know, they'll have a driver come pick them up, but they don't have cars themselves. Or, you know, tell me a little bit about the beliefs within the Amish Amish culture. Well, the the thing about cars is like to be separated from the world. You know, the scripture, um, don't be conformed to the world, but be, but that was the part that was brought out of that scripture. It wasn't, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It was don't conform to the world. And the world is anything that is not like us. So the world is not like there was so much now looking back, there's so much worldliness, what true worldliness is inside the culture, but in their mind, anything worldly was whatever is not like us. Okay. So there was a lot of fear around uh, being deceived by the world. And so 
you can you could have you could pay a driver but you can't own a car you can you can you know you don't associate it's a, it's like a service you can buy a service but you don't associate you don't really you know you don't you don't associate so that they can infiltrate you okay so the idea is that um you don't want to be in the or of the world, right? Yeah, so it's you, like this whole idea of we're 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 in the world, but not of the world. Is to be we're to be we're to look different. We're to to be a light, but it was not the light was extinguished. Interestingly enough, the 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 light was extinguished from within, mm-hmm. and what was made to be the light was the conformity that they were actually doing to not conform to the world was conformity to make group mentality and everybody looks the same by dress, by actions, by behaviors, by speak, everything you, you were like robots within, you know, you, you weren't, you know, individual expression was never, not only not encouraged, it was discouraged and pushed down group, group mentality was the only acceptable thing. And group mentality only as it is, it has already been decided by those in charge, those in power and how it's always been, you know, right. basically the, the men behind the pulpit. So what I think is interesting is you didn't go to, you went to church twice a month, but yet it seems like religion infiltrates daily life. So tell me a little bit about how faith or religion impacted your everyday, like what were the main beliefs that were well, it's so funny because like if, if we would have had this conversation, you know, I've been out 22 years. So if we would have had this conversation in the first five years or the first 10 years or even five years ago, like the, the conversation, it changes because I see more and more and I understand more and more, the more, the more I get all programming out and I, I go back to my original design of who God created me to be and go back to the original Yahweh programmed into my cells, authentic me, the more I see how, de- how, how devastatingly controlling it was and like the denial coming out of denial like god protects us by coming out of denial in stages because we really couldn't handle coming out of denial all at once it would just it it, it wouldn't you couldn't trust you can't trust your own agency because that's what's actually destroyed within any kind of cult when it when a culture becomes to the point where you know it's a cult when when they have an issue with you leaving and there's this and us if it versus was, them mentality. Yes. And if if you if it was just if there was not religion mixed in with it, then it wouldn't have as much power. But they 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 didn't understand they were a culture, not a religion. So they made so it was like they had this I I remember one day asking mom, like, if God if God is Amish, then what about everybody else? Is everybody else just lost? And I remember the conversation being um, that, well, they just don't know better. We know better. We were taught better. So we do better, but they weren't, they're not responsible because they don't know literally. So if any one of you would show up at my family, like at the, my family, that's still Amish or any Amish, they would roll out the red carpet for you. They would serve you. They would treat you great. They would be so excited that you're there but they would not have the same expectation of me if I showed up because I know better and I'm not doing better. So I would get the black mark, the shunning, the, the slap on the wrist, the you're, you're deceived. We can't, you know, but you guys wouldn't experience that same thing. So what do the Amish believe? 
um, that if you were born Amish, you must die Amish, be Amish. If God meant you to be somewhere else, he would have had you born somewhere else. And that if you leave, you're going to hell. Okay. And that's very much caught, not just taught. Like that's a very much an understood, it's a very understood thing that if you, and now they'll tell you now there's a lot of, like I left 22 years ago, back to back then couples left sometimes and men left sometimes, but women didn't leave on their own. So that's why it took me five years to break out after I knew I was going to, I tried five times and I couldn't get out just, and that's why I finally had to actually escape because it just wouldn't, because it's the whole, the concept of, you know, staying in a room with the door unlocked because you're told to mentality, because it's like the the elephant with the, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you know, the one I'm talking about, because you don't actually know that you can leave. Yeah. Because well, you're taught emotional so and psychological abuse. Yeah. Where there's these emotional strings and it feels as though you're tethered. Like the elephant has a small, thin rope tied around his ankle, but he believes that he's there, he's stuck. And so he stays. Yeah. When all he he just doesn't realize the power that he has. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't realize the power, but it does also doesn't realize that he actually can break free. And it, the interesting thing is the people that are telling you, like the people that told me believed it. So they weren't lying to me. Right. They were just sharing a belief that they believed to be true that was never true at all. So it's mm-hmm. like it's harder to discern. I can discern very quickly if someone's telling me something different than their energy is saying, but if they're telling me something that they believe. It's it's very very hard to see that as a lie when they're telling you something that they believe even if they've questioned it they've gotten through that questioning phase and they've made peace with it well that must just be how god is well that must just be how it is and they finally settled into believing it then they can pass it on as their truth and then it's very hard to notice that is not the truth what was like the hierarchy of things like within the home or with it? like what, how were women treated versus men? And Oh, it's definitely the men are the boss. The men are, the men have the final say, the men are the, 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 the umbrella thing that comes from the, who's the guy that teaches the umbrella thing from you know, the IBLP. Uh, yeah. yeah. Jesus, man, woman, children, like if Jesus is a good umbrella, why do we need all the other umbrellas? I mean, let's just be real here. <laughs> but that was definitely the model that was, and it was very, the silencing of women is very, that's very, uh, very prevalent in the Amish culture was so it's the, they, the thing about the thing about that makes it the Amish culture so dangerous is how much scripture they use. Mm-hmm. So the reason and I'll talk about this more later, but the reason I was able to finally break free is my experience of the real Jesus was so different from the religion and the scripture that I was being taught that I, I now had to make a choice. Mm-hmm. But in the, so the whole thing of women need to be silent in the church, Paul said that one time in all of scripture, but you would think that was on every page of the Bible in our culture. Mm-hmm. So silencing women was considered an God's important, will, essentially. Yeah. 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 And it sounds like like God's will was the black and white authority over a lot of things that, but, like, how do you argue with God's will? But God's will according to man. Right, right. Perspective so, of. One question I have is about worthiness. So in a high demand religion or group, right, there's 
there's this us and them mentality. And if you're an us, then you have these expectations or these rules to follow. And I know in some other cultures, it's deemed to your worthiness. So if you follow these rules, then you're good in God's eyes or things like that. So how was it in the Amish community? That was what we called, um, it's it's a German word called Ordnung, but it's basically tradition. So there was a specific, the specific written Ordnung for for the Amish church, that if you, if you did all of these things, then you were a good standing church member. And then you were okay in, in God's eyes. But if you strayed from that for any reason, then you were not a good church member. And if you're not a good church member, then you're a bad one. And you're, you know, you need, you need church discipline, or you need to be, you need to get on board with the program, or you need to be told you need to be put in your place somehow. And so it was very structured in, and then when you wanted, if somebody wanted to join the church and be baptized, which you weren't, you didn't really choose that. You were just kind of told you can choose at any time in this time between 16 and, you know, you should be a member by the time you're 18, you should have figured that out, but you get to choose in that time frame. you know? Um, but then at that point you go, you would go to instruction, baptism instruction classes, and then you would at the end of a certain amount of time, if you got your act together and you looked the part and you acted the part and you said that, yes, you would serve the Amish church faithfully for the rest of your life. And it was much more about, about being Amish than it was about having a personal relation. You could, you didn't have to, you didn't have to have an, a, a, a new birth experience or a personal relationship with God to be a good Amish person. Now there are people that are, there are people that are saved but they don't, they actually believe that you can't know that you're saved. You can just hope you can just do the best that you can. And then you hope that you'll get to heaven one day. So it's very heaven, hell driven, very polarized. Right. Right. So if you are a following the doctrine of the Amish, that's a good way. Good standing. God loves and approves of you and you're going to heaven. And if you're not, you need church discipline and you are most likely going to hell. Yes, and they it is their job to help you stay out of hell. So you're instead of encouraging you to love to go to heaven or to bring heaven to earth whatever. It's so hard to even fathom the stuff I believed so many years ago. It's so hard to fathom that I believed this. And I didn't. That was part of the reason it never sat well with me. But I also, I also had childhood sexual abuse. And so I often didn't know what came from that. And I was, you know, I had a lot of other programming and I always thought that I wasn't sure what belonged to what, but what I'm realizing more and more is that the conditioning. So, uh, so abuse sets you up for control and conditioning makes you a fair game for anything and everything. And the, the, the lifestyle of the Amish, which I actually really liked the lifestyle, like the lifestyle in and of itself is simplicity. Now it's, it's just very different. I did not, when I left, one of the things I really missed when I left was the community aspect of things. Like you were just, you, you weren't one man to like, you weren't one, every man for themselves, like it is out here so much. And I've, that's the thing I've probably struggled the most with is not knowing what community, like, and building, building community, learning to trust in community, learning to have, to build healthy community, because I was just, I just thought everybody lived in community. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that, I didn't know that you didn't, that people didn't, you know, 
Um, I kind of lost my train of thought. Where were we? What did church discipline look like? Because, oh, yeah. So oh. if you're out of line, then the, it's the church's job to bring you back in line. So that you won't go to hell. Yes. But really, it was so that people aren't uncomfortable. Like, let's just be real. If I'm doing something that's making someone else uncomfortable, then it's better to get me in line than to address the uncomfortability in someone else or ourselves, you know, because if I'm saying things as a woman that's making a man pastor, a man preacher, minister uncomfortable, then for God forbid, he would look in the mirror, it would have to be me being silenced and brought into line because I'm a woman. So, you know, it's kind of that mentality of like, so church discipline looked like me, that them coming to talk to me and basically telling me that the church has decided that I'm going to be, that I need discipline until I get this certain thing in line. And it can be as little as the material I use for my head covering. It can be as little as how I make my dresses because you make your own clothing. You don't buy your clothes. And it can be as simple as the way that I turn the the pleats in my dress. I mean, it's strict. So if I'm trying to do something, so they'll immediately, if I don't do something. Hold on. I'm yeah. just a little confused. Cause I'm like, wait a minute. I thought that you got disciplined for like disobeying or getting out of line of these like doctrinal rules. It, it was in the doctrinal rules, how to make your dresses. Okay. (laughs) Certain colors weren't acceptable. You were never allowed to wear, like red was not acceptable to wear. You could only wear pink up into a certain age. Bright colors were not, were kind of, if if somebody wore too bright of a color, it was like, whoa. But it was always assumed that the reason you would do these things is rebellion. Right. There was never, it was never asked, why did you do that? Or it was always just told, you know, it was just assumed that it's rebellion. Right. Right. So if I, if I had a, like, if I had like, you know, you know, they wore, we wore these Amish bonnets. I literally say they now because I just don't even, but like the bonnets that we wore, like if, if you had maybe too many pleats on the side or whatever, it could be, a, it could have been the smallest little thing. They're not as a lot. I feel like a lot of them have become more lenient in that area over the years, but this was just my experience growing up that like, it could have been the smallest little thing. So they would come talk to you, or it could be as big as um, the men sometimes wanting, maybe maybe the men wanting to get a cell phone for to run business, or um, or maybe the men wanted to get uh, a power a power mower or something that they didn't hadn't allowed yet or whatever. It didn't just anything that was not on this. It was when not moral. Was this doctrine made? Just I'm just curious. Do you have any idea when that list was created? Well long time ago was the basis of it was, but then they would change it. They would, they would change it based on whatever was happening in the moment. Like, so, but they would vote. <laughs> this is the funniest thing. This would always make me so, I used to be, get so mad about this and now I just laugh uproariously. It's so funny. But so when they, when they make a vote and I I want us just preface for people that are watching this, that are from this, this culture, like I, I actually do honor and value a lot of things about the culture and the heritage. It's just the things that are ungodly that I have an issue with and that I could never go back for, mm-hmm. but they, they have this thing where they vote. So if they want to vote on something, so let's say that the men decide that they want a power tool for the shop or whatever for a furniture shop, they have to bring it to the, 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 the bench of four pastors 
the bishop, the deacon, and the two ministers, they have to bring it to there and they have to like say, hey, we would like this and here's why and here's how it would help and whatever. And then the ministers decide if they have, if they have, if they're all in agreement to vote yes for it, then they bring it to the church and they say, this is what is up for voting. And we've decided that we're a yes for it, but now we want to hear what you say. Well, if you hear that the the church of the the bench of four has said yes, you better say yes too, or else, you know, so if there's two people that say no, there has to be at least two that say no for it to be overthrown or not passed through. If it's just one person, doesn't matter, it has to be at least two. And this is the funny part that used to irritate me so much. They would actually ask the women, they would come around. So they would ask for the members to stay seated after the service was over. The children would go outside and play and all the members would stay inside. And it would be like the silent thing. And then they would, the ministers would, you know, put it out, put the proposition out, what it is that we're voting on. And then they would literally that day, you didn't have any time to think about it. You would just that day, they would come around and like individually come around and get your, your vote. But it wasn't just a yes or no vote. You had to actually say this German little, little saying. And so the women were not really allowed to ever disagree, but they were always asked. Mm -hmm. So I brought it up one time. I'm like, why do you even bother asking us? And they're like, well, we want you guys to feel included too. I'm like, no, you don't. You don't really want us to have a voice. You just want to make it sound like, you just want to make it look like you're including us because if we say no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So (laughs) were you allowed to read the Bible growing up? In German. In German. I felt like a rebel when I started reading my uh, Testament, my New Testament in English, because I had a German and English New Testament and I started reading in English and I felt so rebellious. Oh my. Yeah. And so if the vote is yes, then they change the doctrine. They change that list to add in the new rule or edit an old rule. And so you always have to be in line to this doctrine that's ever changing and voted by man. But yet, it is means you're going to heaven or hell. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Just making sure I got it. Um, okay. So if you were disciplined, regardless of why, and it doesn't seem like, you know, I'm sure there was natural teenage rebellion or kids playing or parents arguing. I mean, lots of other random whole, like normal human things could be happening within this culture as well. So they would come to you and they would talk to you. And then what sort of discipline options did they give? So the biggest one, so for like, um, if you, there was a lot of, because there was not a lot of actual relationship with God, there was a lot of sexual immorality. So let's say that someone, you know, and it was very strict, no sex outside of marriage. So like anything, so, or whatever, whatever the case may be. But if you, if somebody came if somebody brought something, because we had this idea too, that we couldn't just repent to God. We had to repent to, to the whole entire church. Mm-hmm. So, so the church discipline looked like them coming to talk to you. If it was something that you didn't bring to them first, you know, cause we were very trained that if we did something outside of what was that expected, because there was a lot of caught, not taught. Like it's really hard to explain that, that it wasn't just the doctrine that kept us in line. It was also the 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 very conditioned way of life of what was acceptable and what was not acceptable. And so if you did something that you felt guilty about because your conscience was trained that way, the only way for you to get relief 
was to repent to the church because you didn't know that you could just repent to God or like that was not enough. You had to repent to the church, even if it was not something you had done. It was just, that was just the thing. So they would come to you, talk to you, and then they would tell you that this next Sunday, it's going to be, there's going to be a members meeting and they're going to bring it up and they're going to tell the entire church what you've done. If the church isn't aware and then you have to come sit up front, front of everybody, basically be made an example of what not to do. And then they will decide what the punishment is. Sometimes it's just being disfellowshipped for two weeks. Sometimes it's being disfellowshipped until whatever. What does um, disfellowship mean? Basically, you're not you're not allowed to be a voting member. You have no, you're basically just put your disfellow, like the fellowship is the, the members. So you're okay. just so you're just not a, a part of the church for those few weeks. Yeah. And then you are treated as they do the whole thing where they show you the last love thing where they then they they try to make sure that you've learned your lesson in that time so that you will be a good church member from that day forward. So it's like so then then you go up there and you sit there. We called it we had a joke about it. We used to call it we got we got dragged over the splinter the splinter bench because we had these these uh wooden benches. We sat on backless wooden benches, hard wooden benches for church for three hours for service. And we weren't allowed to fidget because, yeah, well, and you weren't allowed to talk or allowed to have, you know, whatever. So you had to just listen and not fall asleep. And so um, I still believe that's why a lot of people still fall asleep when they're reading scripture was because they would literally like stand there and read scripture over us when we were trying to stay awake. (laughs) But in German, because we don't understand it. However, you can edit that part out if you want. That was, <laughs> I was just kind of a flashback moment, but. Um, so but you yeah. go up and they would basically make a mockery out of you and tell the church what you did. And then the disfellowship would happen. But in a very solemn way for your own good. Right. Okay. And that's very part of the solemn. gaslighting is any discipline you get is because I love you and it's, it's for your, for own, your own good. It is not, we are so sad that we have to do this, Mm -hmm. but we're doing it for your own salvation. Mm -hmm. Now I've heard some helping God with where disfellowship meant that they were shunned by the whole community for those weeks and couldn't eat dinner at the same table and couldn't be spoken to things like that. Um, It wasn't necessarily that you couldn't be spoken to, but yeah, you weren't allowed to eat at the same tables. You were, you were basically just. And it was you were put out. The hope is that you will miss the inside and want to come back in. Mm-hmm. The funny thing is that, like when when I left, I was you know I was pretty much you know pretty much told that you know their their assumption is that when people leave, it's because the outside is drawing them out, and that was never what drew me out. It was the inside that pushed me out. Mm-hmm. You know, so. So the way that they do that shunning thing doesn't actually work. Uh, it's, I, uh, I have a lot to say right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's reminding me of this newer case. And maybe at some point, Rachel and I will dissect this ideology. But the 
the this mom just got arrested. She is, I'm sure it's all over the news right now. Her um, they had a 2.5 million subscribers on YouTube, a Mormon family, six kids, and she just got arrested with six counts of aggravated child abuse. Um, along with her therapist, which is a whole nother conversation and why I'm super interested. But the one of the things that they mention is I am going to give them a punishment. So they're so uncomfortable. They want to come back. And it's, it's just, it's, it's behavior therapy and it just doesn't work. It's like if punishment versus reward, right? The rewards work way better than the punishment, but in this type of ideology, it's like punishing you to love me. It's just so weird and backwards to me. Well, it's it's kind of like they actually teach that, you know, the whole idea of a shepherd breaking a sheep's, a breaking a lamb's leg to train the sheep to stay close to the shepherd. It's literally that concept that, and that's why people actually believe that the closer you get to God, the more warfare you have, because literally we've, we're trained that the closer you get to God, the more uncomfortable you are. So it's not true. It's not true at all. If you look at, if you think about that, if you have, if you're a dad or a mom who has a child that they love, the closer they are to you, the safer they are. The arrows will have to go through them. But, but we're trained, we're, and and physiologically, we actually think and we create and anything that comes up in us to be dealt with, like we think of it as an attack from the outside. It's terrible. Rachel, do you have any other questions about life? as an Amish child growing up before we move into the escape. uh, You talked about the discipline. You also talked about uh, sexual abuse. Was that ever brought up? Uh, Did anybody ever come forward about somebody sexually abusing them? And how did the church handle that? Oh, the church is very much a safe place for the perpetrators. Mm. Um, They weren't weren't brought up on the splinter? Sometimes, but some... But it's the girls probably were dressing provocatively. The girls were probably bringing it on. Like it's always the girls are doing something, or they're making it up, or they're crazy, or how is that possible? Or, uh, or, or they just ask the man, "Did you do it?" And he says, "No," and they believe it. So if he says no and they believe it, then what does that? What's that left with the story that the girl brought? So there are, thank God, there's a lot more awareness now, and it's being, it's being, edu- there's a lot of education happening, and there's a lot of. But I will say that I kept quiet for 19 years because I knew that no one would believe me mm-hmm. and that they would believe the person that was doing it, not me, because I was a woman. And because it happened so young, I didn't have agency. I didn't know. And I thought also, I thought that because I was conditioned to believe that men, that women are second class citizens, if any male member told me anything, I believed it to be true. Like I didn't, I didn't think I had the right to doubt what a man said. And I did, I honestly didn't know that I could question in the other way that the other way that I finally realized that, that I'm in a cult was when I started to question things. The truth never has a problem being questioned, Mm. but religion has a big issue with being questioned. And I, when I started asking the questions as a teenager, um, before I wanted to join the church, I wanted to ask questions. I wanted to know what, what I was signing up for. Like that made sense to me. And, and I was just over and over told, this is how it's always been. I needed to be content where I'm bloom, where I'm planted, be content with whatever state I am again, scripture, scripture, scripture. And like, 
who am I to question these things? If it worked for them, why wouldn't it work for me? And just so much mind control and so much being told how to, you know, what to think instead of how to think and taught to fit in. And when we're really created to belong, we're not created to fit in, you know, it's just so, and it's just, it's just so very detrimental to little girls. Well, I always think it's not just the little girls because in the patriarchal mindsets that's there in that umbrella thing, the little boys are being indoctrinated just as much as the little girls, it just affects them differently. They grow up thinking they have to be the aggressor. They have to be the the leader. They have to be the tough one. They they have to be that. And they have to, you know, so it has to be like this, the man over the woman. It has to be that way. So the 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 same abuse that's happening in the home, or I call it abuse, but the mind control that's happening in the home is happening to the boys and the girls. But mm-hmm. then they grow up and they both just take their places naturally, girl. Mm-hmm. naturally, naturally, and keep it going because it's just so true to them. So what would happen if a girl came forward? What would her punishment be then uh, for supposedly being crazy or lying or whatever? Uh, most of the time they have to actually um, move to a different district, move to a different church. Oh, so the whole or even family? move to a different Or they would just, they don't have to move homes. They just need to move or do they have to like physically move homes? Well, I've heard lots of stories, and this is something that someone who's still in the culture will be in total denial about. So, if I would, sh- if we would show this exact thing to someone who's still living the culture, believing that that's the right way, they're doing God's will, they're they're right where they need to be, they would say, "Oh, no, no, no!" If somebody, if that happened to somebody, we would certainly. But they're, but they don't have a brain cell for it. They don't have capacity for it. And if you actually have to admit that a man in your membership did this horrendous thing. The, what does that do to the wife of that husband, of that man? What does that do if he's a pastor? What does that do? It changes the whole thing. So that is way too scary. It's much easier to just shut down the person, the one person that is, because they can make her to be crazy because there's all this disassociation. There's the fragmented memories. There's, there's not, the, the facts don't always line up. And so it's a lot easier to just tell her she's crazy and she needs to be in a psych ward. So a lot of times she'll be sent to a psychiatric place or she'll just be asked to leave the church. Because the man said he didn't do it. So you must be crazy. And why would you make something like that up? Oh, that makes me so sad and angry at the same time. And I I can't tell you how many, after I left and I, and it started, I didn't want my, when I started going through counseling for my abuse, after I met Jesus at 22 years old, I started going through counseling for the abuse. I didn't think I had anything else to deal with. I thought it was just the count, the abuse. I didn't know that I had been in it. I didn't know that I'd been conditioned and programmed in other ways. Um, I just knew that I needed to get out. And then I started going through counseling and I didn't want word to get out because I had been programmed that if I tell something bad's going to happen. Right. So, um, so my counselor actually at one point said to me, we must tell your parents. Like it is not healthy to not tell your parents. Like at this point, like it's not even healthy to not tell your parents. Were I was you 22 still years old. in the Amish community at this time when you were in I was at life? I was in a different I was in a new in a new order Amish community where I was getting help where they actually believed in meeting Jesus. They actually believed it was like they were in a they were a level up, if you will. And so and when how it old finally, were you at this finally, time? Hmm? And how old were you at this time? 22, 23. So you went from your current Amish community to a new Amish community, uh, maybe as a stepping stone. And we can talk about your 
five attempts to escape and things too, but okay. I was just at that time, at that time, I was still going to stay Amish. I was just wanting to get counseling for the abuse because I had, after I got saved, the flashback started and mm-hmm. I started to want, and I realized that I had been abused and raped and I just didn't know. And so I wanted help for that. Yeah. And so I, but what I want to say is I, I was just afraid. I was so afraid for word to get out that this happened because I was already had been labeled the crazy person because I just was not always silent when I was supposed to be. And I, all kinds of other things. And so I was like, I don't want anyone to know. And finally he told me how unhealthy it is to that's the silence and the secret is actually what is keeping me in this bondage that breaking that silence is what's going to be necessary. And then when it got out, when word got out, yeah, <laughs> When, when word got out, there's actually a documentary. I don't know if you've watched it called Breaking the Silence on Amish, on the Amish. Ooh. Ooh. Interesting. Okay. on our list, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> and it talks about women being silenced. And I was it talks gonna say, about there seems to be a lot of secrets. There's this is the way you are and this is the way you behave. And if anything's outside of it, we don't even talk about it because, and it's a secret. So yeah. keep going. It's much safer to not actually just live surface level and, and have this a facade of safety than actually dive into who we really are. But that's why religion is so much easier than relationship. Uh, but so once it finally came out in my, in my mind, only a few people knew, but it spread like wildfire. And I started getting calls from Amish girls, right. And left so many calls, so many stories, so much evil. Mm. And the biggest thing was, you know, my dad's a pastor in the church. My dad is this, that, and the other. My dad is this, and my dad is well known in the community. Like nobody's gonna believe me. And I remember it was about probably the tenth or the eleventh story that I heard. I got so pissed off that I decided if my story, if me going loud can help, then I'll just go loud. And mm-hmm. I was just like, I just a flipped a switch just flipped, and I was like, f this. I'm not. I'm no longer going to just be silent and. It was crazy to me because sexual abuse happens every, in every culture. So let's not let's not try to pretend it doesn't happen everywhere. Mm-hmm. Let's not try to pretend just because it looks good in the Amish community that that stuff doesn't happen. It's just a lot more hidden because it looks so good on the outside. It's like a storefront. It's like a fake front to hide all that stuff. And when you have a, a group of people that is not led by their spirit, led by the Holy Spirit with their spirit, that stuff can run rampant hmm. and and it's like a breeding ground for it. Well, and you think too, is this, would you consider it a purity culture where there's, uh, you know, uh, abstinence and marriage? And I know in some re- um, communities, pe- girls aren't even taught about their anatomy and they don't even really oh, yeah. know what sex is. And it's very much like, we don't talk about this, but don't do it, whatever yeah. it is, don't do it. So then at one, I wonder is when hormones happen, I don't know. When you tell people not to do something, sometimes they run the other way. And so it just creates this unhealthy mindset about sex, security, and anything. They probably feel like they're impure then, even though it wasn't their choice. They were five years old or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Right. So uh, virginity, marriage, all those things are idols in that culture. So you can be, you can be, as long as you're a virgin, you haven't had penetrative sex, you can still be considered a virgin, but you can be as impure as ever and not, you know, it's purity. It's not, it's, it's purity is not 
the standard. Virginity is the standard. And, and healthy marriage is not the standard. Not divorce is the standard. You know, it's like all of these things of, of it's like, we're not going to do these things versus we should do the, we want to do these things. It's all the can'ts and the shoulds and the won'ts and the don'ts and the shouldn'ts instead of the reasons for it. And then it's very, it's very secretive. It's only for marriage, but you don't, you're not told why. And then there's all these stories of, you know, imagine, imagine somebody getting married and not having any sex training and suddenly they're married and man wants it all the time. And then they're told that they have to give it to them anytime they want, because the Bible says so. And he's not taught that you actually take care of a woman. I mean, it is just the great sex rescue is the book that really everyone in my culture needs to read. Mm. Um, it's a really, really good anybody. I feel like everybody should read it, but, um, it's yeah. And then when you have abuse and then you're taught that you're never allowed to do these things, then that just makes you all the more guilty and all the more silent. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that's confusing because on one hand you're being told never to do these things. On the other hand, an authority is doing these things. Well, and that's what makes it see it's only okay for authority to do it. And, and it's very, um, you know, very like, well, you, you wanted it. You were asking for it. You, you know, you did this. It's your fault. You, you are the reason if you hadn't been wearing that color dress, or if you hadn't been doing this, this, and this, like, it was always like the man couldn't, the man can't control his, I mean, like the way that they, the way that, okay, this is what doesn't make sense. So men are all these all we're gonna screenshot rachel's face right now (laughs) i can't control my face (laughs) horribly it's like we're all getting wound up which is good (sighs) because we need to bring it to light but it's like it's like men are men are these all-powerful creatures that have to be over women but yet they can't they're such wimpy men that they can't control their sexual urges give me a break right yeah like we have not held men up as very capable by saying that how a woman dresses or acts is a reason to be raped. Like that's so lame. That's just I've, so I've heard stories of like, oh, it was your shoulders. Like in some cultures, right? You can't wear the ankles. Yeah. Ankles. Elbows. Yeah. Like uh, whatever. I mean, yeah. It's just people will say what they want to say to make themselves justified in their own eyes so that they can do what they want to do and make you the wrong person. It's just, it just is how it is. Yep. Do they ever get the police involved? Um, there are some that do now, but most of the time, the police that this is what's so de- devastating is most of the time when a woman, this happens more when a woman wants to leave an ab- abusive marriage. Um, there's just not a lot of, of help for a woman that wants to leave her marriage in that culture because divorce is right next to the sin of the law, uh, is right next to the sin of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is unforgivable. So if you get divorced or you want to, you can't get divorced, but if you want to leave a, an abusive situation, um, the goal is always to get you back together. The goal is not health. The goal is not safety. The goal is get you back together so everything looks good so that we can settle back down and have a normal church because it's, this looks bad. This looks terrible. How, you know, this looks really bad. This is a bad light. This is really bad, you know? So it's, again, it's not, the man is not taught to to do, to love the woman better. The woman is taught how she can be a more submissive wife so that the husband is better. So, it's because it's her fault. on souls, it feels like. Yeah, like it's very, very heavy. And then, and then if they, if she can't really go to the police, because number one, she doesn't know that she can. So she'll try to go to the ministry, which is all men. And then again, it's, it's, 
I'm not saying that all the ministers or all the men are bad. I'm not trying to say that at all, but it's always, you have to go to a man to get help. And it's often a man you're trying to get away from. So it's, it's, there's never any safety. And so then it's like, if the, if the authorities are brought in the bishop or the deacon or whatever that goes to do the, be the spokesperson for the group assures the police officer that we are trained to take care of our own. We will handle this situation. Thank you very much. And the police just go away because we're supposed to be a, we're supposed to be a, the Amish are supposed to be a um, conscientious object or nonviolent people. So, you know, we handle our things within, we don't need to get the law involved. Even the Bible says not to get the law involved. And that's yeah. That's what Scientology does as well. And what a Jehovah's witness you know, keeping things within the culture. And well, religion is not a respecter of persons and neither is a cult. Yeah. It's like, it's the same. It's the same BS just wrapped in different packages. Yeah. So tell me, tell us a little bit about your desire to leave. So how old were you when you realized that leaving was an option? And why did you start to feel that as being a strong option for you? And then we'll get into your five attempts. Okay. So when I did my research to try to figure out if I wanted to be a member of the church, I was 19 years old. I was old. I needed to make this decision because my gosh, if I'm not a member by the time I'm 20, I'm probably just going to be an old maid and never get married and just die. I mean, it's probably going to be the end of the world. Right. So, so I, I finally, I thought that maybe I thought everybody else around me was happy in the culture, except me. And I thought that I was doing something wrong. There was something defective about me that I couldn't just get happy in the culture, that things didn't feel congruent within me, that I didn't feel like things were right, but it had to be me because everybody else seemed so okay with it. And so I, so I thought maybe if I just get baptized, that's the ticket. Probably having that water poured over my head is going to be the magic ticket to, to finally feel like everybody else seems to feel about it. So I got baptized and I was waiting. I was so excited. I did all the things I was supposed to do. And I was so excited for that day of baptism where that water was going to be poured over my head and I was going to be clean once and for all. And I was going to finally be happy in this culture. Well, guess what happened when the water got poured? Not a dang thing. Not a dang thing changed. And I went out after church and sat under a shade tree and cried my eyes out. And I said, I just, I just don't fit here. I don't fit here. I'm, it may be me, but even if it is me, I don't fit here. I don't belong here. I'm never going to be happy here, but I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do because outside of these walls, so to speak, is a dangerous world. So what am I going to do? So I didn't know at that time that I could escape. I just believed with all my heart that I didn't fit in. I didn't belong. And so I just got really depressed and I got suicidal and I just went, I just gave up. I just went, went from hope addiction to hopelessness. And then, um, that's a really long part of my story there that we don't have time for today, but at 21 years old, I finally thought, what if I could just leave? What if I could just leave? And that what if kind of like, now I know that a what if question opens up the hippocampus. And I remember thinking, what if I could? And it was like a new thought to me. It was like an absolute new thought. What if I could leave? And I started to feel hope rising up within me. And I thought, what if I could? What if I could? 
so at so I, that maybe that was between 19 and 21. So at 21, I knew I was going to leave. I just didn't know when and how. And then I didn't leave until I was 26 for good. But I tried in that 21 to 26 year time frame. I tried five times. Um, is but in that time, what actually happened is I met Jesus when I was 22. I had a very real encounter with Jesus right at the the depths of my despair. And I, I had been told about this Jesus by other people, but I was like, if he's a man, I don't like anything to do with him. So I'm just forget that. I'm like, oh. I, I know what God's like from the pulpit. That's not somebody I want to be associated with. And, and if Jesus is a man, forget that too. And so um, I, I just, I remember going to Florida for the first time. I was 21 years old and you don't get to keep your money. At that time, you didn't get to keep your money until you were 21. You, got to, you had to give your paycheck over. If you had a job, you had to give your paycheck over to your parents. And so, because you weren't trust, couldn't be trusted with money. Um, my 13 year old is, has better money management at, now than I did at 21. Cause I was never, whatever. But I remember at saying to God, if you're real, I took my, I took my German and English new Testament on the, on the beach in Florida. And I held it up and I said, if you're real, you better show me yourself because I will never believe another person about you. And I threw the thing in the ocean and I was like, that's it. You don't show yourself. That's it. And then he did. He walked into my room and I saw, I like, I saw him and, um, and he, he said to me, I'm not like those other men. That's all he said. And that was, I'm 48. And that was when I was 22. So 26 years ago. Ooh, um, but that's what that my experience with the real Jesus. I just thought everybody would want to know that. I I thought everybody would want to know that he's not Amish and he's real and he doesn't. He's not like that. <laughs> so I just started telling everyone, and then I got really labeled as crazy and shut down, and and that's why I ended up leaving the community. Then was because I just couldn't, um, I couldn't be, I couldn't follow the true Jesus that I met inside that that it just it didn't match mm-hmm. so i had to make the choice to i had a choice to make i either had to give up the real jesus or i had to leave the culture and that's the part that they're in high denial about still to this day anyone who's in there is in high denial of that very fact that you cannot actually be true to yourself and true to the real jesus and stay there you can't do it So did you leave in the middle of the night and find a driver to come pick you up on the side of a road or like, how did you do it? (laughs) Well, I, I had a driver come pick me up, but I did go in the middle of the day, but I waited until the driver was in the driveway. And then I called up to the main house. I was staying in a cabin in, on someone else's property. And so I called up to the big house and I said, I'm leaving. And I just walked out with, I had a backpack of clothes packed because I knew I, I mean, I only had Amish clothes. And I had like 50 bucks and I didn't have a phone, didn't have anything, but I just locked my door and left, left everything behind and just got in the car. And, and by the time I said, I said, we'd leave the somebody, one of the Amish men that lived on the property was at the car already asking why she's there. And, and I just looked at him and I said, I'm leaving. And I told, I, I had warned her that we may have to actually do that. She called it, she dubbed it the great escape because she saw, I got, I got it. I said, yeah. And I said, go, go. And 
because I had tried it. I really wanted, I really had a heart. So I was like, I'm a grown woman. I should get to make the choice to walk out of here. But it hadn't worked for four other times. So I finally was like, fine, I'll play this game. I I need to go. I need to get out of here or I will die. Literally, I will die. Do they have arranged marriages in Amish culture? I'm wondering at 26, had they tried to marry you off already? Not really. It's not really arranged, but you're only allowed to date within the culture. Okay. But you're, it's, there's an illusion of choice there. Um, but I say illusion because it's very much, I dated a guy, I, I kind of left him at the altar. Gosh. Um, I dated a guy and I, I had this moment when I realized I looked at his dad, I, I was, I, I, everybody else thought we were a perfect, perfect couple except for me. And again, I thought I was the one that was wrong because everybody else thought we were good together. And I, so I remember thinking, so I remember looking at his dad and his dad had a big, big old gut and a big giant long beard. And I thought to myself, Oh my God, in 20 years, I'm going to wake up to that. And I'm going to have a canister can set of kids and I'm going to be cooking and baking and cleaning and canning peaches and then having babies and having grip uh, and then die. I'm like, no, 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 no. Fate worse than death. I will not do that. And I just, I was like, I can't do this. And then, you know, I just, I was like, nope, can't do this. Can't do this. So I left. So I had lots of black marks on me already by that time that I was still um, unmarried. I was an old maid and I wanted to have a, I wanted to be an entrepreneur and I was told I could be an entrepreneur, but I could only do it. I could only have, I had these three choices of things I wanted to do. I wanted to have a flower shop and they told me that will never pay the bills. Nobody Amish has ever had a flower shop that will never pay the bills. Like, what are you thinking? So it was just a lot of that kind of just being, being pushed down to not actually be allowed to be authentically who God created you to be and never, you know, they like, like they would never, like my mom would never, she's, my mom is waking up to a lot of things now. But she would never have, she would never say that she didn't want me to be all that God created me to be. But it was just within this paradigm. You could choose within this paradigm. How did your family respond once you left? Were you ostracized and shunned from your siblings and your family? Well, first they came, they, they hired a driver and they came full force to try to have a come to Jesus, to try to talk sense into me and, and basically bring me back. And it was the first time I stood up for myself when they pulled into the place I was working. I was wearing pants and I had my hair in a braid. I hadn't cut my hair at all at that point. It was long. I could sit on it. It was so long. I'd never cut my hair and had never worn pants. And I was terrified to have them see me like that. But I knew that if I would put my dress back on that I would lose all of my power and authority in my own voice if I did that. So I decided that I was going to make a statement by showing up in pants and they came to my place of work. And when they opened the door, the looks on their faces was like, if I had died, like, you know, it was like this, how disappointing and to see me like this, And before I could lose my nerve, I said, if you are here because you actually want to hear why I left and you actually want to talk to me and get to know me, you can come out of this van. If you are here to try to tell me what I need to do and tell me to go back and try to get me to go back, you can just close the door and drive right out of this 
drive right away again. And when I say it felt like the biggest thing ever to say that, like it felt like now today, I'm like, that's not even a big deal. Like I would say that in my sleep now, but at that time, that was a really, really big deal to stand up for myself like that. And it, it made me, uh, it's, it was like one of those pillar moments where I knew that I could, could stand up for myself and I could, I could say what's actually they listened to to you. They did. They actually said that they're, that they are, that they want to hear what I have to say. Now they still, so they got out and it was still, it was still a Marietta bashing. Like this is all the things you did wrong, but they did at least respect the fact that. And so then after that meeting, they were there maybe an hour and a half. They then said that they were, they were going to basically do the whole like cut me off thing. And so when they pulled away, when they, when the van left, I remember just sobbing and thinking that, you know, I might not see them ever again because I didn't know. Um, but that's come full circle. That took a long time, but that's come full circle. There's a lot of things that have happened, but that was the first one in your family to leave your brother stayed. Okay. Has anybody else since? You know, I was a girl then. So five years later, my three little brothers left. Mm. So there's now four of us that have left and three that are not the three that are still there have a big, have big families. So when we're together as a family, there's still, there's, there's still more of them than us, but it's, um, it's at least a little bit more. It's not just me. I got the blame. Allow you to come hang out as a family with them. Well, now we can. Okay. Uh, It's not, it's not necessarily, they always make sure that we know they don't approve of it. Like they have to, it's like they have, they are like, they have to remind us every time of our sins and our transgressions and why they can't fully associate with us. But, you know, they're like. Did the doctrine change that said you guys can now hang out and you don't have to shun or did that, was that a personal choice they made? Well, there, there's so many, there's so many, um, there's so many, nuances of things. And a lot of things are, are done. Like if I were to show up at, at like when my niece got married and I go to the, I I go to the wedding, that's a very different feel than if I just show up at their house by myself. Mm -hmm. So it's like, they have to keep up with the Joneses. They have to keep safe face for their church. But what they do on their own day, after a certain amount of time, it's like they finally realize, well, she's not going to come to her senses. Now, what are we going to do? She's still our kid. Like, you know, and so then they have to decide what what can they fit into their framework that keeps them safe, but still allows them. I had my daughter and all of a sudden they wanted to be a part of her life. So like now what? You know, so it's just it's just a lot of real interesting. It's like I see them. I, I can see it now. Like they can't trigger me anymore by saying stuff. So I can see it all. And so I just say it like it is. And, you know, and so, but I can see that in their minds, they're literally thinking, how can we make this work within our parent? Like, how can we make this work? How can we fit this into our box? Yeah. Because God forbid we, we were to even look at the fact that she might be right. Then we would have to ins- inspect all of this box that's not safe. So we have to continuously tell ourselves that she can't possibly be, she's going to hell. You know, then when I got divorced, oh my God, I said, what, am I just getting a hotter stall in hell now? Because like, I thought I was already going there, but it's just, they, they just can't, they, they can't see me for who I am. They can't see, they can't understand my life because they refuse to look at it through the truth of who I am. They look at it through the lens of 
what they perceive I have done and who I am. So they can't actually see who I am. But my three younger brothers are saved and they, the ones that have left, they're saved and they, I'm in a relationship with them and they are godly men now and godly women. And it's, it's amazing. I prayed for that for so many years and to have that now, 22 years later is pretty amazing. So tell me a bit about the reconstruction deep. Well, it's deconstruction and then like re, you know, because when you, you are literally out in a brand new world with new rules, with new expectations, with new like normals behavior, essentially. So how did you start to break down your old beliefs and rebuild? Um, It was truly a culture shock. I mean, I would say those first five years was more, (laughs) did you guys, have you guys seen the pretty woman movie where Julia Roberts says to Richard Gere, she says, well, aren't you surprised by that? And he says, I'm not surprised by anything anymore. And she goes, well, you're lucky because I get hit between the eyes every single day. And that's how I felt the first five years is like, I just didn't know. It was a true culture shock. I didn't know. I, I'll just tell you one quick story of, of, to help you understand how foreign I felt in the same country with just a few states over how foreign I felt. So I had never, I didn't know what size I was because I'd never bought clothes. So I go to Colts, and I had never driven a car. I mean, I didn't know how to drive. I didn't have a license. And so I go to Kohl's, a friend of mine dropped me off at Kohl's and I walk in by myself and I'm just wanting to get some clothes. All I knew is I wanted to get some clothes. I was at that time I was wearing my friend, my male friend's pants, like jeans, man jeans. But at that time they, they didn't look that whatever. Um, and then I was wearing like a, a t-shirt. That was what I was wearing with my hair, long hair and a braid. And I walk in and I walk into Kohl's and I'm like, looking around, I'm going, Oh my goodness, there's so many places to go for women's clothes. So there was a lady there and she asked me if she could, can I help you? And I said, yes, I would like to buy some clothes. And she said, okay, well, do you want to shop in Mrs. Or I don't even remember what she said, Mrs. Or women's Mrs. Or women's or something. I don't remember. She asked me and I said, um, I'm not really sure. And then she says, well, what size are you? And I said, I don't know. And she laughed. I understand now why she laughed, but that was so painful to me because I really truly didn't know. And I needed help in that moment. And I didn't know how to ask for help because asking for help physiologically made me panicked. Mm. And I didn't know, I didn't know the answer to the question. And, and she laughed and, and just kind of dismissed me. And I just started sobbing and ran out and I didn't kind of, I couldn't go back for a long time. It was so traumatic because I was like, <laughs> she laughed at me. And now I am now it's so like, it's funny to me now, but that was literally how strange I felt. And so the whole deconstruction process was those kinds of things, like just realizing that, oh, wait, people who are believers, women who are believers cut their hair, they wear makeup, they wear jewelry. So I had a lot of Jesus. I had a lot of like, Jesus, you have to show me without through a person what is actually okay? What is right? What is not right? What do I believe? What are the lies that I believe? What's the truth? So it was a, it was a process and a journey of just like, I would put things, I would, I would have this, this practice with Jesus where I would put things on the shelf with him. I'd be like, all right, I'm going to put TV on the shelf. Okay. I'm going to put, and I would just let him show me in some way. He would be the only one I would say to, Hey, I need to know the truth about this. And, and then 
like something would happen or within, you know, and I would be like, oh, and I would know that that was the truth. And then I would go, okay, what was the lie that I believed? And then I would, and it would still, it still felt more true than the truth, but I knew the truth. And so like replacing that, it was like, because physiologically your truth, your belief systems feel real to you. Mm -hmm. Even when you know they're a lie, like it's not as easy as just deciding, well, oh, well, that's the truth. Now that I'm going to believe that you have to create new neural pathways. You have to, you know, it's, it's, and, and you can't do it. You can't just cut something off and, and adopt something else. You, you have to do it. You have to have and learning empathy for your own process of like knowing that, okay, if something, if something feels a certain way, I can actually believe that that is like, I can actually believe my own agency. Like I can believe if something feels off, then maybe, maybe it is just my programming, but even if it is, it still feels off. And I still get to explore why it feels off. I still get to say this, something doesn't feel right. And I don't have to be gaslit into just believing that I'm always the the bad guy. I'm always the, you know, and so it's just been like ongoing and the more layers, the more safe I become for myself, the more safe I am to explore programming that is still unsafe within me and explore that. Like if I would have known at that time that I, that I had other government programming within me, I would have never been able to, to deal with that at that time. But now I know I'm safe now. I know that I can. I know that I have what it takes. And I know that I'm not going to gaslight myself anymore because you uh, other people will gaslight you as long as you still gaslight yourself. That's just the reality of it. If you are gaslightable, you will be gaslit. And if you can learn to stop doing it yourself and not become gaslightable, then get, people can't gaslight you anymore. And that's really where you have to, for me, I had to learn that I was safe and that I am internally then when something comes up i can actually question it from a place of safety and it doesn't have to feel like it has to wreck my whole world anymore yeah well it sounds like when you are rebuilding you are reconnecting and re you know build rebuilding your own self trust you're rebuilding relationships and your view of the world your view of others but more importantly when you trust yourself then you can trust your view of others and your interaction with relationships and things like that, because you trust your gut. Now you have that connection with the Holy spirit. You have that inner authority where you are able to ask yourself, what do I believe? Why do I believe it? Is this an old program? Where did this come from? Who is the first person that told me this? Is this true now? Is this serving me? You can really introspect because you now believe yourself. And I find that that's probably one of the most important pieces of the puzzle is if you can believe and trust your own intuition, then the rest can start to fall into place. Absolutely. When, when a a little girl that has sexual abuse, that the feminine instinct is so injured and we're so, it's so, it is so, um, stamped into our DNA, it changes you, it changes your DNA. And so to remember, I call it remembering, you have to remember back to yourself, back to your original design, back to your creation, back to, you know, before anything ever happened. And if that if that means you have to go back to who you were, that who who God knew before he created you, and you, the Bible says he knew you before he formed you. So if it means you have to go back to the before the formation of you to remember, 
then that's what you got to do. But you have to remember, you have to remember because that's the only way you're going to become whole is if you remember with all of your members of all of your being, you have to integrate, become whole. First Thessalonians 523 says, holy and whole body, soul, and spirit. That is the goal. And that tells you that your spirit can be unwhole and your soul can be unwhole and your body can be unwhole. So you need to find wholeness within all of those. And your creator is the only safe place to find that wholeness. And then other people who understand wholeness can hold space. And that's why I'm so proud of you guys for what you do, because when you hold space for other people's stories, I, I used to always say, if I can share my story and it can change one person, then it'll, it'll, it, the goal, you know, mission accomplished. Well, I'm that one person. I'm always the one person that gets changed when I share my story. And you guys, when you hold space for people to tell stories, I hold space for people to tell stories because the person that will be changed is the person telling their own story because it, it breaks the silence. Amen. <laughs> Rachel, is there anything you want to add? Ah, uh, girl, I am so glad you got out. I am so glad you got to see Jesus for who he really is. Uh, like that just warmed my heart so much to, to hear that part and all of it. You're a warrior and I'm just so grateful you are where you are. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And it's there an is. ongoing process, you know, it's, yeah. We're like, we're, we're healing, right? We're never yes. like, healed. <laughs> it's a journey. Well, and, and I think that it's also understanding that um, we already are perfected. Yeah. But that we're learning, it's nothing is new under the sun, but it's a lot of old information that we've not been privy to yet. So it's like, we are just becoming all that we already are. And, and it doesn't have to be a thing anymore, a destination anymore, when you finally learn to trust yourself and not be afraid, and then you can just continue and you can just be, I had a moment this morning when I was getting ready, I was like, what should I do to prepare? And I had this moment where I realized that I used to spend all this time preparing to be me. Hmm. Why is it that humans have to prepare to be ourselves? Because we were prepared to not be ourselves, right? We were conditioned to not be ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so when the, the, for me, the greatest sign of knowing my freedom is when I don't have to practice to be who I am. My or prepare. Prepare. I have to practice being who I am, but I don't have to prepare. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know we could absolutely talk to you for hours. And so we definitely should and we'll bring you back on to talk more about your reconstruction and what you do now. But you are helping survivors of all types of trauma in lots of different ways. Definitely check out Marietta's Facebook page. She does massage. She does, she's got like life coaching certification. She's got a lot of uh, lots to offer and she packages it all um, up into one. So freedom coach. I mean, there's a lot of things that you do. Uh, and so definitely check out her Facebook page. We'll put the link in the description if you're interested in getting to know more of her, her story and what services she's able to support you in on your healing or remembering journey. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you so much for being a part of today's episode, you guys. And thanks for watching. Please leave a comment below. Let uh, Marietta know what you thought about her. Like and subscribe and share with anybody that you know who could be in a high demand religion or cult and might be interested in hearing a survivor story. Have an awesome day, you guys, and we'll see you next week. 
Thank you so much for listening to this powerful episode of Stop Suffering in Silence. If you are interested in booking Rachel to speak at your school, your church, or on your podcast, then please email openblindeyes at protonmail.com. If you are interested in sponsoring a survivor on their healing journey and would like to donate to Stop Sis, then please check out the link in the description box or show notes below, or you can email stopsis at protonmail.com. And finally, if you are currently suffering in silence or you know somebody who is, whether they're dealing with a current trauma or one from the past, then we will always recommend that you reach out to your local resources and find a counselor that you can trust because nobody is meant to suffer alone. Have an amazing week and thank you for being here.